0: Hello everyone, and welcome to This Nintendo Life, episode 230, my name is NBZ, and I don't know if I have COVID or not, it feels like I'm sick in some way, but then I woke up and like, I almost sweated the sickness out while I was sleeping, so, I don't know, Bally, I I might have, I might not, I already broke two COVID kits this morning because they're so old and no one has had to use them in a long time, so... I have no idea. So I'm just kind of sitting here in the dark at the moment. It's done
1: a really good job not getting it until now. Yeah. if this is when you have gotten it. You got to Germany yeah. and back. That's that's good going.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I don't think I would have picked up from Germany because that was a while ago. Now was like yeah, over two weeks. I think maybe maybe a week and a half. Um, it's been a while. So I. Does, does it make sense? I don't know. Maybe it does. There was a lot of people there. I have no idea. Um, maybe it's just a regular cold. Who knows? Uh, but hopefully it is nothing fatal uh, and I'll be all right. I feel okay. So should be good. Um, but anyway, Bally, how are you doing? Uh, you haven't been struck with any horrible illnesses recently. I'm good. Yeah. No, you were up in Edinburgh. And, yes, that is true. Um,
1: you came around twice. I think first time mm-hmm. Bally Jr. was behaving more and then the second time he was a lot more difficult um, because Caroline had been away and I was looking after him by myself and by the time... MZ came round. It was like six o'clock, and it, he had already started spiraling from about uh-huh. three or four p.m. because his mum wasn't there. So yeah, yeah it I was...
0: tried. I tried to hold him multiple times. Every time he was like, "No, this man is weird. Get me away from this man. <laughs> I'm scared <laughs> of this, this man." man uh, so uh, uh you know, I will have to find a way to indoctrinate him with the video games at some point, Bali. But he he was not he was not glomming on to me uh, at this point in time. So. No,
1: eventually he did fall asleep, but like. 30, 8 yes. o'clock and it was for about twenty minutes. Uh-huh. And Go, yeah. got a
0: good twenty minutes of fights against Margit the Fellowman in Elden Ring. Yeah, right in the middle of a Margit fight <laughs> yeah. he, he
1: kicked off and yeah. he woke up and it was like, Okay, right, well yeah. Thanks Bally Junior for being yep. pickly but also thanks Elden Ring for not having a goddamn pause button. <laughs> yeah, um, it's,
0: it's all right. I picked it up, you know. I was able to yeah. uh you know die for you in your stead, <laughs> so that was all good. Um so yes, uh hello, we're back. It's time to talk about video games and stuff and things and we have a show for you today and Bally's going to tell you what's on this show for you today.
1: Well, for our first segment, we'll be paying tributes to the... quit. No, I'm joking, right? Yeah, For our segment, we're going to talk about the games that we have been playing. For the second segment, uh, we've got some of your emails. And then for the third segment, we're going to wrap up the show at the end of the second segment. And then we're going to talk about some Live Alive spoilers, because you have finished that game now, MBZ, to-, yes, absolutely. to wrap up the show for the third segment.
0: Yeah, Um also, I I think it says a lot about how much we care about the monarchy that I didn't even think to open talking about the queen. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess the queen the queen is dead. uh So that's a thing. Um, it's pretty. It's it's weird in a lot of ways, just because like my entire life, but also like my entire parents' life, the queen has been on the throne. So yeah. it's just like
1: the his the history is undeniable. I think sure. that's the thing is that like, this queen's like her first prime minister was Winston Churchill. Like, <laughs> Which I, is I, ridiculous. I, hopefully, Americans will know who Winston Churchill is, but that was yeah. a god damn long time ago uh-huh um, yeah. and yeah i think she's had 14 16 15 five? i think it's 15 think prime 15? ministers yeah is Liz trust the fifth
0: she is the 15th, 15th. yes um yeah. you know the world couldn't handle two liz's in charge of the country so i had to off one of them i no. guess um i think it was yeah. min
1: max um ben hansen pointing out like has there ever been like a sit-down interview with the queen and i think he makes a good point that like in this whole time that she's been ruler we know incredibly little about a lot of her main sort of feelings about things there's there's little tidbits here and there (laughs) and i mean you're almost like
0: like not allowed to have your own opinions as a monarch right like you kind of kind of can't be your own person. Ah, but they've
1: decided not to to help their longevity, basically. Yeah, um, but yeah. the, you know, she was, like, campaigning to, like, abolish her paying tax behind the scenes and these kinds of okay. things. So, like, we do know of some stuff. Um, and, like, all the so sort of conversation... Prime Ministers will have, like, a one-on-one with the Queen. I think it's roughly once a week, once a fortnight. I can't what? remember. Gee, yeah, wow. Prime Ministers have a one-on-one and in this meeting with the Queen there are no advisors. It's literally just the Prime Minister and the Queen, and the point is that they can speak freely in those meetings. How
0: how did she suffer Boris Johnson for that (laughs) period of time, Jesus Christ? But
1: another caveat of those meetings is that Prime Ministers aren't allowed to talk about them, and that rule has been broken before, but oh Okay. As a result, we know very little about like those conversations. Well, I'm
0: sure Boris will write a tell-all book where he talks about his conversations with the yeah, queen because that's exactly. the kind of guy he is. Um so anyway, uh enough about that. Let's talk about video games. battle there's a new one, there's a new Nintendo video game that just came out. Splatoon 3 is here. The third Splatoon. Um one that I think we were we were both coming into it like, yeah, I'm sure this is going to be fine, but like it didn't have the the highest of excitement levels, I would say, just because it feels like a um I was
1: ready for Nintendo to do do something different and we've just not seen it yet
0: yeah exactly and i think that we have kind of fallen to this pattern with splatoon where it feels like it is going to just be an iterative franchise from here on out um and that's fine you know if it was if it was more of a kind of yearly franchise that would make a bit more sense but having five year gap between them and this being like right. yeah it's, it's it's splatoon again and it kind of feels quite similar to two and looks very similar to two and there's some neat changes and new stuff i've been enjoying it a great deal uh, so I'm, I'm about like five six hours in i played basically after work until midnight last night so i played most of uh, you know my my free time yesterday and um you know i'm enjoying it a good amount i think there's lots to dig into lots of interesting stuff but um yeah bali what are your kind of like first impressions off the bat jumping into splatoon 3
1: I mean, they've they've rearranged like the main plaza, and
0: it's a lot bigger now. I just did a bit of exploring, and there's lots of side streets and stuff. And we're just talking about how a lot of the miiverse style messages that they still keep in there are uh, like graffiti on the wall. So right. you saw sort of, like a Hollow Knight. We were just talking. There was stuff about the Queen would have loved Splatoon three.
1: Yeah, someone said, "Oh, the Queen, she's missed out on Splatoon three or uh-huh. something." First, and <laughs> it's like, okay. yeah, um, yeah. It, it's very small changes overall especially if you're comparing it to like splatoon 2 which as you say was five years ago and yeah the plazas i think the game is visually more impressive like i think they are they're getting more juice out of the Switch in terms of, like, they're, they're rendering in, like, monorails and high-rise flats and skyscrapers. Yeah. And, you know, like, that does that stuff does look good. Um,
0: and yet they still have that thing where the plaza is in 30 frames and everything else is in 60, and it's still so weird to me. Yeah. Like it's, it's really it, bizarre.
1: And, yeah, so you've got your regular battle area. And it's nice that now the battle area is, like you can warm up with a gun while waiting for a battle to start. That is quite a nice feature. It's a bit annoying that, like the place where you can buy guns which is what you're wanting to do at the start of the game is kind of separate to all that but I, yeah like... it's
0: like loading screens between the lobby and the other places it would have been really nice if you could have just been in the lobby the whole time while shopping for items but you know they still have to do things by tradition which means okay we're going to take you out of here put you in here and then also get these shopkeepers to just non-stop talk at you about these weapons when you get new weapons in the store to the point where when you jump in immediately especially if you have splatoon 2 save data which you can import into this game. Game, which i didn't realize um they will just for like non-stop amount of time just keep talking about these weapons you can hold down a button to speed through them but i did that and i posted a video to twitter and it's 25 seconds of this guy just going through these weapons like as fast speed i'm like why didn't you just let me skip this nintendo it's one of those like archaic things they still cling to and yeah it would have been nice to just not have that um at least they got rid of like the whole going back to the studio and like talking to the hosts between map changes um, now it just basically kicks you out of whatever you're doing when map changes happen and
1: you know okay does it do every time you start the game
0: uh i don't know but it's also like with the switch i I found this with splatoon 2 as well is because i keep it in suspend mode i don't don't think that happens because you're just in the game right so that's good so yeah, um, yeah, it doesn't kind of interrupt you in that way. It basically will just like have a brief kind of load and, and reload and be like, now the maps have changed. So that's at least one good change that they've made. I, um, I
1: also think that the Splatoon 2 moving of data is actually something that benefits Nintendo more than the player. And what I mean by that is you think, great, I'm going to get my level, I'm going to get all my guns. It's like, actually, all it does is it gives you like three tickets to rep- like you can spend on weapons to get them slightly quicker. Yeah and it will also like match your rank as to where you are for like ranked matches but also it will know that you've played splatoon 2 and then you know siphon you off with other splatoon 2 players because they they can like tell you've played played a lot so i think honestly you're, you're not actually gaining that much it's just nintendo now has a really good way of filtering out the noobs from the good players so that presumably noobs are playing noobs and they enjoy the game more and likewise good players are playing good players and certainly us with a bit of rust yeah a lot of matches last night pretty tough just even in turf wars just like trying to trying to get by where there were some very high level users um yes high level in terms of like skill not level right Um, yeah yeah, it was some hard work but you know i I still had a really good time one thing i want to tell myself this time is i really want to actually try to learn and get good at a few more weapons because you know i was i'd always use like the aerospray for turf wars and the nnes zapper for like um for like ranked matches and i want to actually be able to say right no let's do let's, let's use the bucket like, i was using the bucket last night the first match it was awful but I, I progressively got better with the bucket to the point where i was getting like loads of kills and lo- covering a lot of land you know and mm-hmm. like that's I just want to do that with a few more weapons
0: yeah definitely um and i think those are kind of the major changes i've seen so far obviously there are some new maps in there i don't know what what it is but like i still feel like the splatoon 1 maps are some of the best ones in the series like all of them were very memorable and maybe it's because nintendo only had like four or five at the beginning of the game and they slowly kind of rolled them out over a period of time but um each of those maps felt really distinct and i still like remember them very strongly mm. whereas I, th- I feel like with splatoon 2 and splatoon 3 maps a lot of them feel like the same shape and the same kind of level of design and there's not as much like distinction between yeah. them as spaces you know yeah um, th-
1: maybe there's too many or but you're right there's like the first game had like a handful and they were very memorable um and i think again we're into this kind of like you get two maps in this one mode for the next three hours and that's that or is it two hours like that and that's that
0: yeah it feels like it's shortened down because i think i rolled through at least like 10 maps yesterday 10 different oh, really? maps yeah, so okay. it feels either they've shortened the cooldown or something like there's a lot more generally at launch here than there was in the past in previous games, it feels like.
1: And so. the fact that you are only getting two maps means that if you're playing consistently within that time period, you are going to be playing that map a lot. And the yes. advantage of that is that you will learn that map quite well. Mm-hmm. And I know this game has some mode where you can actually go onto these maps just as a single player and like learn them. I don't know how to yeah. access it. but um, So that's quite useful. I think Splatoon 2 might have had that. I can't remember. But... Yeah,
0: I think they both have local play and I've never really used right. it. Um, so that's like a
1: good feature but obviously the downside is like you're kind of playing it like i've just done this map three times in a row do i need it like a fourth time right now because essentially it's just a coin flip every time so you know it's easy to get three heads in a row and end up playing the same map so i would prefer if there was like three three maps per rotation you know like that, that just makes up makes up a little bit more
0: yeah definitely um i i I would like to see there i've seen one at least splatoon 2 map return which was the museum kind of art one that i remembered um and that one i like quite a bit and but i haven't seen any other ones i'm not sure if there are splatoon 1 maps in here but um that would be a nice thing to do because i do really like those and, and those were some of my favorites back in the day um i think the other stuff that has changed is uh different weapon types but also like new specials and new kind of like abilities and stuff like that um so the few that i've tried i would say the ones i've mainly played the the new weapons wise is the bow and the splatana so both of these i think were shown off pre-release in kind of like their direct and, and their kind of like promotional material marketing but um the bow is it feels not super well built for turf war um in the sense that You can kind of like spam the kind of short range version of it and it will do like a a good decent kind of blast of ink around you um but really you have to hold it down and it has uh, multiple charges so the first charge will basically go a certain distance and the second charge will go a further distance so it's almost sniping to some degree but it's different because instead of sniping directly with a shot what you do is you have these three kind of shots that blast out the bow and they become mini explosives so you shoot someone you hit them but then there are mini explosives that kind of land on the ground around them and they have like a half a second before they explode so it's like a you a hit then a mini detonation so there is a way in which you can use this to kind of set things up where you're almost like dropping these detonators like right before somebody as they kind of walk into them and the detonators are not super powerful i would say like I don't know. It feels like a weapon that is decent at multiple things, but doesn't excel at any one. Um, but it was fun to use. Is is a thing? Like I, I enjoyed using it, even if it didn't feel like the most effective thing in the world. And I I wonder if it's going to be better served in other modes, which is something we were talking about. Right? Is like it feels like in turf war, there are certainly like weapons that are much more well built for just covering the space Mm -hmm. um but that said you know another benefit in turf war is is clearing out the enemy because it gives you the room in order to actually cover more surface so if you do have a weapon that is more offensively capable then in turf war it really is your kind of goal to just kill people so that you can create that space for the rest of the team to kind Mm. of cover all the space so i think there still is functionality with the bow in turf war i just don't think i'm probably there with it yet in terms of my understanding but also apparently i was playing a, a bit with devon as well yesterday and, and he was saying that some of the pro players had dug into some of these weapons and apparently the bow is uh, not very high ranked in terms of their weapon kind of tier ranking at the moment okay
1: yeah i'd be interested in like high level play rankings yes. of weapons and things like totally. the gal or something like it's just i think it's one of the quickest kills yeah the
0: 52 gal i, I think it's like a blast like almost mid-range blast weapon that has mm. a kind of uh it's hard to time I think in terms of distance it's like a
1: very slow rate of fire but when you do make contact with those hits they do a ton of damage
0: yeah if not like one kill one shot kills right stuff like that um So yeah, I uh, I I like the bow in terms of its aesthetic. I think that um, you know I do like these little flourishes they've added. So like when you get into a match, you you all kind of like have a custom pose if you want to. Like I've Mm. seen some people hanging from their kind of thing, thing that hovers in the air and stuff like that. So they're trying to. Feels like they're trying to add in more of these quote-unquote free-to-play elements that usually you would unlock like emotes and stuff from like battle passes and those types Mm. of things but they're kind of like building them into the kind of core progression of the game so you can unlock that stuff you can unlock emotes i think for the end of the match so like you know you know in overwatch where at the end of a game you'll see everyone kind of the team standing there and everyone will have a different oh, pose yeah, yeah. it's kind of that where everyone does their own different pose at the moment i think it's tied to what weapon you use i'm pretty sure um but i feel like you're probably going to be able to change those at some point it's also got like a ton of like overwatch
1: style rewards at the end of matches like m- most kills most yes d- d- painted inked your own area to the enemy's area yeah like got got inked on the most kind of like took the most damage is another Damage. <laughs> so, um,
0: um yeah they give fun. you little uh medals almost basically it's like you were the number one person at doing this specific thing in the match
1: and um, they've brought back kd where they didn't they didn't show you uh deaths in Splatoon 2 you only did they not your, your kills yeah interesting um huh. and yes yeah, so you get your kd and then how many specials you pulled off yes um, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. your if you're playing turf or you get like your how much ink you drop down
0: yeah pretty much um so so yeah it's nice to see those other flourishes uh, the other weapon that i had been putting a lot of time into was the splatana which is a melee weapon that is basically a katana right like it's a it's a it's a sword uh style kind of painter um and it's really cool and it plays very differently and i feel like i i have to think differently and play differently when i'm using it which is kind of like what you were saying like i because i think i can fall into the habit with splatoon of just being like i'm just going to use the arrow spray and everything and not really change up because and it's effective have a good and it time works. but you know yeah.
1: it's like i kind of want to scratch back the layers of this yeah. game and really kind of understand it a bit more and like right. like with the bucket like the first match felt horrible but then by the second and third and fourth matches i was like actually the, the bucket's really good at like if i just stand at a high elevated place i'm and i like that bridge in that level yes and i'm just chucking bucket loads of ink off the side like the coverage is actually really good and you can just kind of kind of aim into space a bit more
0: like obi-wan you had the high ground i had the high ground to, uh, you know, I,
1: I, I actually think verticality makes a huge difference in splatoon and something definitely. i've not really thought about enough before
0: yeah and you know i think that's part of the thing with like well splatoon 3 hasn't really changed that much nintendo aren't going to give us anything new so i guess we have to make it new for ourselves by branching out and just trying yes. different weapons yeah, essentially um, I-, I mean
1: overall i'll be shocked if my playtime does surpass splatoon 2 but, yeah uh,
0: did you what number did because they actually gave you a specific number when you import your splatoon 2 say i
1: was played i think i was like 48 49 i believe okay yeah i was 63 63.
0: i think i was yeah um so yeah it was i I was surprised i played that much platoon 2 but i guess it was the first year of the switch and i was doing nothing but playing the switch so um, kind of makes sense in, in a way but uh but yeah the splatana is really cool in that it it basically is a it's a quick melee weapon up close but you can charge it and if you nail that charge shot if you're able to hit someone at close range with the charge shot it's basically a one hit kill so i my tactic and i i want to try and buy some clothes that like use the stealth ink thing where you can just hide in the ink basically pop up behind someone charge the splatana which is a pretty quick charge actually to do a full blast and then just like ko them from behind and um when i've pulled it off it feels fantastic it also I have missed multiple times uh constantly. So it's a thing I have to practice that a bit more to get good at. But it's also cool of like it has a bit of range to it, so like it's quicker on range stuff than some of the other melee weapons, like the big roller or the ink brush, and has a bit of a longer range to its kind of like um small radius, but it also when you charge up and you kind of like if you're not gonna be close to someone hitting them and you charge up and you kind of do a straight line, it's almost like the um uh what you call them the the kind of like ice rink one a sub weapon that you throw out and you can kind of follow the ink path as it goes like the curling Um, stone the curling stone yes um so the the splatana when you charge and you're in a straight line it does a really long straight line so it's actually very good at getting to the center of the action quickly because you can basically create a path for yourself by just doing that
1: those weapons that create paths are so much fun with um what's the what's the ranked mode with the gold um,
0: oh the fish yeah i can't remember what, what it's called
1: call again but anyway yeah. you say you're so you know like the paintbrush say you press yes. like zr with a paintbrush and you're just running very fast point yeah. painting on the ground mm-hmm. you can just have someone hold the gold fish and just walk behind you and because you're creating a line of ink so fast you can just like get to the goal very quickly it's yeah. Quite... yeah stuff yeah, like exactly. that's very very cool i look forward to some ranked
0: yeah it's good for teamwork definitely um but uh but yeah i think the splatana is very cool and it's one of those like risk reward weapons where it's high risk because you have to get up close to someone but also i find in splatoon that if you're up close to someone with a gun uh often they panic and they can't aim very well but then the problem is i'm also panicking so i'm not i don't quite have the composure yet to pull off the sotana fully i did take a clip where i kill two people with one hit then i go and behind someone else and kill them as well i was like man that's what this should be all the time you know that's how good it feels when you pull it off so um yeah uh definitely really enjoying that and i want to you know i want to branch out more i did um i bought the splatling gun the the kind of heavy one that does like a ton of burst uh oh, damage the Gatling, yeah, yeah yeah which is i found really hard to get into in the previous games but i want to try and give mm. that a go um the brella as well I, see, I just want us to use like unusual
1: weapons and get good with them and then yeah. someone's playing and like oh my god that guy's actually got a splatling gun you
0: know it's like yeah yeah i'm that guy i know how to master this exactly because because that happens to us all the time it's like oh man this sniper is like really good and it's just tearing yeah. our team apart you know um so it would be it would be nice to do that uh have you been playing with motion controls still is that something you still yep, do i yep.
1: love motion controls i love them i yeah i, I, I don't know it just kind of it feels snappier i know that like high level players generally do use the motion controls but um yeah it's it's kind of one of those things with splatoon like i don't feel like many other games utilize them in the same way but i just for me it feels right i and I, I need my i need my tv screen and pro control i don't like playing this game handheld and that's mainly because of motion controls. yeah yeah
0: yeah, it's weird doing motion controls handheld. Um, I do have to change up the sensitivity as well in handheld. So I I don't do motion; I just do sticks. But the sensitivity I find different on pro controller because of the throw of the stick and like how accessible it is versus you know playing with the joy cons. Um, so it's it's it is nice. You use a fixed that,
1: dress one, then be said. Yeah,
0: that's I don't know. Different. I I I do like playing handheld just with the joy cons. So I'm usually fine with that. But um i do appreciate that they still have the option to switch between they have control specifics for handheld and for um playing on tv which is good um because i don't want to be going and changing the sensitivity every single time i switch between them right um Mm. so it's good to have custom sensitivity for each mode of play um that's that's very very good um yeah i uh i also played some salmon run so i jumped into that oh, nice. um Devin and i played a few rounds of that and that was good fun also wanted to say that um <laughs> he, he was like hey do you want to try the nintendo switch uh, app just to you know see how it's holding up after five years so we did so we started voice chatting on that and um man it sounds garbage still it's still like a fucking mess uh and delayed and like there was a point where i think i locked my phone i was like am i still can i still hear you um so i just wanted to report back nintendo switch online app still garbage for it's, voice chat
1: are you um, a little surprised that they've like persevered with that thing uh maybe you shouldn't because it's nintendo but like no. the, it, it did launch the year the switch came out right
0: yeah it did it came okay. out alongside i believe it launched alongside splatoon 3 and then it's Two. been used sorry splatoon 2 um, and it has been used a sum total of i think once since then which is animal crossing and then now it's back again with splatoon 3 where you can buy stuff from the shop it doesn't
1: even work like for smash brothers and mario kart which are like two of their biggest online games i
0: don't believe so let me i'm gonna load up right now and and see what if if any other games are there but basically the app does the same thing that it did in splatoon 2 which is you know, you can go in there and you can buy specific weapons if they're, like, weapons that are only exclusively available on the online app, um, basically, for a period of time. Okay, so Super Smash Bros. is in here. I can't remember what the functionality is for it, though. Um so i don't maybe it was like sharing videos it might have yeah that's it so i'm I'm looking at it now it's a bunch of video clips uh press here to post different things so great you can just post video clips from smash i guess um to the nintendo switch online app but um but yes yeah, platoon has really been the only time i've ever used this thing functionally which is like yeah I'll i'll browse through the uh the shop and see what's what's up there the other thing about it is it seems like they have tied the whole like you know when you have a gear set in a game it's like i want this set of gear and i want this one it seems like they've put that into the app so if you want to create like a, a saved profile for a piece of you know a, a loadout essentially for your gear and um, then i guess you have to do it within the app so oh really i don't know it's a bit weird yeah i i'm not sure
1: i quite i was looking forward to like having a few preset things like you're saying with like the stealth and using the splatana like that's a nice yes. little loadout you could have so to right. have to use the app for that is no
0: Yeah, yeah. uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe there is a way to do it in the game, but I can't find it. But
1: that's the thing. Overall, there's just some really weird decisions. Like you were saying, the live system is back in the single player. There's... well
0: I mean we can talk about that but like the the star of the single player doesn't have lives and so I'm texted you and I'm like I, I played like five levels and then the boss and I'm like man I haven't seen lives yet I think we're in the clear valley I think it's the game doesn't have them and you're like I swear I saw them in the direct and then you know I get to the next area and um yeah they just suddenly appear again I'm like motherfucker why why would you do this dude is so frustrating um, yeah but yeah they just stick into tradition I guess um but yeah quickly on salmon run I think salmon run feels pretty much the exact same Um, i wasn't able to glean a lot of differences i mean the main difference is you can play it whenever you want now as opposed to nintendo's arbitrary and dumb that's nice
1: and you're like forced into using weapons though aren't you like
0: you are yeah you basically have like a set of four weapons that rotate between each person and each round you switch automatically to that other weapon um uh, one of the big changes they've made though is you can actually now throw the eggs so you know before you had to swim directly to the the bin where you drop the eggs in now you can throw them however for someone who plays just on sticks it's a bit of a pain because to throw the eggs you have to hold a and if you're thinking about holding a while also like using the stick to aim you basically have to like take your thumb off and like use a different button to hold a to throw it which is really stupid um i don't know if there's a way around that or if there's another button i can press I just run out of um, shoulder
1: buttons basically
0: yeah, I don't know. Like, it's easy for motion controls because so you can just quickly tip, uh, you know, con- your controller up, and it's almost and, like they designed the whole game. for It's motion almost like they want you to use motion <laughs> controls, which you know, I get it. You know, I honestly, I would kind of want to use keyboard and mouse with Splatoon at this point. Like that's, I, I was I knew, thinking, this, I
1: knew this line would would happen uh-huh. at some point in this podcast episode. Yeah. You're going to say,
0: "I, I want to use keyboard and mouse." Well, I don't know. I, I feel like someone has probably hacked a way to do that in Splatoon. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll look up online. You
1: don't think Nintendo will launch a keyboard and mouse to? play splatoon alongside
0: well like you can you can attach a keyboard and mouse to the switch you can use it to type out tweets and stuff um it does work functionally i don't know if there's a way to make it work for splatoon though um to trick the system into uh using keyboard and mouse but that would be that'd be great you know that'd be awesome um but uh, i don't know it is weird because i'm not sure if keyboard and mouse would actually feel that great for splatoon because of the the mobility of it like the kind of like dashing around and the jumping i'm not sure um it's, it's an interesting one and especially because it's a third person game as opposed to first person i always find keyboard and mouse harder with third person games for whatever reason just the perspective change messes me up a bit but um mm. you know it would be cool to see that uh so yeah summon run i think very similar you know i think it'll be fun for us to jump in and play some you know as a as a break from turf war or ranked yeah, or whatever yeah. uh but uh but yeah i uh i definitely want to see if there are any other significant changes the further in you get because we were the rounds we were playing were relatively easy so it didn't feel like i was coming up against any resistance yet but what i remember from Splatoon 2 is salmon run gets fucking hard like incredibly hard <laughs> yeah. in a brutal way um yeah. so yeah looking forward to getting to those stages with it um and then the single player is uh again i i, I think so far i'm enjoying it more than the ones i have and maybe that's just because at the beginning you don't have any lives to worry about we
1: also thought two single player was stronger than one as well like they did some cool things with bosses
0: yeah i don't know if i did because i think the frustration of the end of two is kind of outweighed the the enjoyment i think of one oh, really
1: i thought some of those bosses were incredibly cool in two. The
0: bosses were cool yeah but i think it's just some of the levels and the way that they're built to really frustrate you and like die a bunch and have to restart was it just took me out of it in a way that made me really frustrated so i think overall i probably preferred the first one because it was less frustrating um but this one is there's a cool thing that happens basically and if you haven't looked up you know what's going on with the single player then i won't spoil it but um you basically go through this first area first boss Awesome, like really cool, like visually and set piecewise and all that sort of stuff. Fun mechanically, like checkpoints between phases, which is really nice. Like very, very cool um as a boss. I, I enjoyed it a lot. And then you kind of like you expect to just go to like another world, and then there's a whole different area you go to and it almost changes almost changes the approach to Splatoon uh with the single player stuff. So I'm I'm interested to play more of that. I've played a few more levels in that section. Um but uh but yeah it's it feels almost inspired by the octo expansion. I was just talking to you before about this ballet that they almost feel like test chambers when you go into these levels and you kind of go through this door and you get sprayed by some kind of like water to like decontaminate you and then you almost enter into the the level itself um so it feels like it's taken some of the ideas from the octo expansion my hope is it doesn't take the difficulty from the octo expansion because all i've heard from that is like that thing gets really really hard mm. um, so we'll see but again you know when i got to that next area of the single player as soon as i stepped into one of these chambers oh what appeared in the top corner three lives and i was like well i had i had hope bally i had a dream that we could get past this but it seems Mm. nintendo didn't want to fulfill that dream so I'm just going to have to get through some of the harder parts of the single player and be frustrated again, I I guess. But um, hopefully they've designed it in a, in a more streamlined way. And, you know, given the first boss, I think these bosses, hopefully, are going to be some of the best in the series, if not the best. So um, that's exciting. I mean,
1: what if they checkpoint it really nicely or something, you know? that would. Well, make... the, the
0: problem is, Bally, is like with the checkpoints, at least this is what I remember from Platoon 2, is checkpoints are fine when you die with one of the lives when you run out of three lives i think it resets you back to the very beginning of the level I think you're right yeah which is yeah. that's the problem with it right like if it if it was the live just per checkpoint that would be totally fine but and again i haven't fully tested this so that could be the case and if if that is the case that's a much better way of approaching it still stupid i I just don't see why you would do that but like um yeah it it is very frustrating that they continue to kind of cling on to this kind of archaic thing um and yeah ultimately when it comes down to you know what the single player is story-wise like it's it's nothing special it's like well yeah this is kind of the same as what we've been doing before um and there you go there's some there's a little bit of fun surprises at the start there um and you know the the section that I've just got to there's a little fun surprise but um aside from that I think uh you know it, it feels like it's going to be relatively meaty I would say given how much I've played of it so far probably 6 to 7 hours uh maybe a little bit maybe longer The other ones maybe. have been
1: about 6 to 7 hours as well. Yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah, I would say... It's
1: nice. I, like, I'm glad the game has a single player, and like, I know yes. I enjoyed the previous two single players more than you, but like, regardless, I think it's nice that it's there, you know? And It's you, a nice you know, break,
0: you know? Like, totally. you can spend some time playing some multiplayer matches, and you can be like, I'll just jump out and play a couple of single player, uh, you know... Maps and then I'll go back and play more multiplayer, right? Um, but for me, Splatoon will always be a multiplayer first game, um, and and that's kind of what I'm there for. So you know, I'm I'm happy with what I've played so far, and I I do want to try out some of the the other new weapons that they have, as well as the cos. It seems like the cosmetics this time are really pushing the boat out. I saw a, someone with like a giant teddy bear for a head, and I've seen a witch's hat and like some really cool like. Outfit stuff, which I don't know where they're getting it from or what's going on, but I Fortnite? need to figure out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess they're just paying Nintendo extra money and they find it under the couch somewhere. But um yeah, that stuff is is great, and uh, you know, some of the specials have been really cool, like the one that is tied to the aerospray is a kind of shark thing that you ride and it's like diva special and overwatch where you basically go in a straight line um and it explodes in an area around you but you can also uh prematurely detonate it so you can stop it early if people are like in in your path and explode around them and it's really effective and really fun i haven't gotten to try the hamster ball yet it seems like they're taking all their ideas from overwatch it's like you know this <laughs> diva special and then now you're just going to be the yeah, um, that like little crab tank thing yes is really cool it's like out. um oh, Oh, what's his name in Overwatch? The Gerbil guy. It's basically like that tank. Yeah, um, I've forgotten his name. Yep. Uh, so wrecking ball yes wrecking ball yes there absolutely um so yeah it, it feels like there's still a lot to toy with in terms of weapons and abilities and all those types of things and you know the gear system works the exact same way as before um you know where you level up and then you unlock new slots and i'm sure there's the same guy who you can pay to get specific things and specific slots um because you know that's what pro players did and you know we'll have their kit all all kitted out with all that stuff uh, the most efficient stuff possible um and yeah i'm sure that i'll get deep into that uh in in a good way so i'm looking forward to playing more splatoon 3 um it's been good so far and yeah not again what we kind of expected i guess like it's not really changing much um and i guess the only new thing that i haven't tried yet is the uh the like the board game thing um that is somewhere i guess in the square and i'm not sure where is it i don't
1: know no one's mentioned it to me yet yeah
0: it's behind some alleyway somewhere i think i think i actually just passed it when i was looking through this morning so um yeah that's uh that could be a cool thing and maybe we'll talk about that next time uh, as well as like the the fashion stuff and like the lock i still try to find my locker where i can like put put like these kind of trinkets that i found um around the world so we'll see see how that goes but um yeah more for next time absolutely uh bali you have started another game uh, yes. that is kind of nintendo uh, inspired in a lot of ways
1: very nintendo inspired and it's on the switch although i am playing on series x but that game is Tinykin. um and yeah so a lot of reviewers and commentators and pundits are going like, yeah this is like pikmin and it's like well yeah you're right it's like pikmin you are th- this character that runs around this world throwing these pikmin like creatures that are Tinykin. um but I actually don't think it plays much like Pikmin because right. the Tinykin are incredibly responsive. You don't have to manage them like you do with Pikmin. There's no day-night cycle. There's no big. There's no enemies in the game going to eat your Pikmin. Um, and because they're so responsive and you're not really managing them in the same way, like, for example, if I needed Tinykin to use a bomb one on this bombable thing i don't even have to select a bomb tinykin it'll just automatically find the bomb people and fire them at the thing so like interesting because there's no management because there's none of that stuff i don't think it plays anything like pikmin honestly um and because these worlds are so large and there's such a platforming focus and there's a real verticality to a lot of these worlds as well which is really cool um it honestly feels a lot more like mario odyssey to me and you know it's just kind of the industry sometimes the industry i think are a little lazy in their comparisons
0: with games and it's like yeah totally but it's also like it's a very surface level thing when you look at it so i think i, I get why people jump to that conclusion yeah. immediately um but but yeah it does seem like platformer first and pikmin like second in the sense that your your tiny kin seem to be more tools to get around the world than. I guess they do solve puzzles, but in in a different way to what Pikmin does. Because yeah. Pikmin is about that kind of like micromanaging of like you know sending people to different places and like specifically choosing these Pikmin to do tasks yeah, and, like and stuff growing like that. them when they
1: die. Right. So like Tinykin can't die. Like right. You, you collect them and you gain more to to do bigger puzzles, but they can't actually die in the same way so
0: fundamentally it feels like a 3d platformer i guess but from a different perspective in the sense that your characters are 2d so it's almost like what if a paper mario game was a was a 3d mario game
1: and when i first saw the game i thought that's a neat shortcut to like avoid animating like a three-dimensional uh, protagonist but having played it it is actually a visually stunning game and i've heard it actually runs really well on switch um which is good because like this This game really looks good and runs really well. Like it's a and it's a very, the platforming feels really good, which is obviously so important for a game like this. But it's one of those things where you can be watching the game and think, "I I really hope that feels good." And having played, I've only played like a a couple of hours, but like it's very, very good. I think it's only about a six to seven hour game. Um, So I'm absolutely loving it so far. I want to beat this game for next time, and I would highly recommend others. Uh, check it out because it's it makes a real impact early on
0: yeah um i i'm definitely interested in jumping into it it also sounds like it's quite short only like six hours or so um six to
1: seven hours yeah
0: has there been much like puzzle solving going on or is it mainly like trying to because what i saw from i watched the giant bottom quick look and it seems like a lot of it is there seems like a little bit of penalty for when you like fall off ledges and stuff because you have to like use your tiny kin to like climb up as almost like ladders to get higher and like use them to gain verticality is there any kind of like more puzzle based elements to it is it more in the service of platforming
1: i'm still really early on but uh, from what i've done it's like exploration puzzles it's like go and find right. this thing and okay that's one thing that i was really shocked early on is that from watching like gameplay i thought it oh, looks cool but surely these rooms feel quite small after a while, it's like no; these rooms are, and you, I should say, like you're in these kind of almost Toy Story-like style uh, playrooms where you're on furniture, and right, it, you can find like spaces within spaces within spaces. Like these worlds are like as big if not bigger than a lot of mario odyssey levels like they are really really big
0: damn yeah i was i was gonna say is it like one whole open house or something or is it split it is split split into worlds worlds, each
1: world like i said is i would argue bigger than most mario odyssey worlds wow Um, it's it's really big and it's a hell of a lot more vertical than mario odyssey worlds as well right which is it's just really impressive and it it's focuses exploration and platforming there's a few puzzles in there, sure, but the puzzles the Pikmin, that kind of stuff is definitely secondary to the exploration and platforming yeah uh, which is really cool.
0: how's the feel of the platforming because I think Very that's the thing good. that a lot of a lot of these games get wrong is like you know they will take a lot of those elements but then fundamentally they can't match up to Nintendo's kind of polish
1: no it feels it feels really good and again like i i when I saw this game I was like I know it's a platform. I know it's got Pikmin elements, but is it actually going to be that good, or is it just doing some simple things? And from what I've played so far, it's it's much better than the sum of its parts. Like it's nice. really, really polished and really nicely done.
0: Yeah, um, I definitely want to check it out. Obviously, it's it's quite short. It's on Game Pass, so it's an easy easy game to pick up. Yeah, and it seems like it'll be really good on Switch as well as like a handheld game. So um, yeah, uh, definitely seems like one for our audience to uh, take a look at if you are interested. Um, so yeah, Tinykin, very very cool. Um, the last thing that i wanted to bring up is drill dozer a gba classic um often bally you know game freak come out with these games uh, that are not pokemon games and no one really cares about them you know like stuff like tembo the badass elephant or harmonite or like and it's not mr
1: driller which i got confused about
0: yes so mr driller i think was a gamecube game um that is available on switch if you want to buy it um it's been on sale for like deep discount before and i'm kind of interested in that as well but drill dozer is a different game made by Game Freak, um in let's see, what was the year? Two thousand five it looks like. Um and it is a two D platformer where you play as this girl who has a giant drill and um it's really neat mechanically. So what it does is it uses the shoulder buttons to kind of Wind forward and wind backward the drill. So if you use the left uh, shoulder button, it will do like anti clockwise. If you use the right one, it will do clockwise. And you basically go through these levels, defeating enemies by using the drill, uh, you know, breaking blocks, all that sort of stuff. Very classic 2D platformer. It almost feels like, you know, an indie platformer back in the day right because these days a lot of indie games will take one mechanic and be like i'm going to build a whole game around this one thing and it feels like before that you know we were getting a lot of those types of games from various studios on the game boy advance on the game boy just because platformers work quite well on those kind of handheld systems and 2d was still in vogue during that period i guess um and you know so you saw a lot of like metrovanias with the castlevania series and stuff like that um but also you know a lot of licensed games i feel just like go for the platforming thing for whatever reason i guess it's just an easy mark it's an easy type of game to make so a lot of licensed games ended up like that like that sabrina one that i played on game boy that my sister owned um stuff like that was kind of common and very rife but um i think it was a little bit rarer to get a like a brand new ip that was made from a studio with kind of like a bit of a pedigree um and drill Dozer is basically that so it is almost like an indie game before indie games happened and i i think it's really cool in a lot of ways it definitely shows its age um and you know inevitably that's going to happen with a kind of uh, platformer of this era but what it fundamentally does is and this is really strange right is like usually in games like this you would imagine you get your drill and you just kind of like upgrade it as you go along and there is a little bit of upgrading like you can get you have um a currency that you use and you can use that to increase your health and to increase the power of your drill but at the start of every level you have you basically have to collect different gears so there are three gears that you can collect throughout the level and you start off with one which means that you can only hold down the r button to drill for a certain period of time when you get your second drill there's basically the way that it shows this is there's this overlay that comes over the screen so when you start drilling it shows this almost translucent overlay with like a half circle and then like a number and a a big bar in the middle showing like the length of time that you can drill for and then it goes into this kind of like um this area at the end of the bar where if you have a second Uh, gear part you can click the uh the shoulder button again and it will kind of rev up again so you're almost revving up once waiting till it hits the end of the bar and revving it up a second time and then when you get the third gear you rev it up a third time and then by holding down with the third gear you basically infinitely drill so you have kind of a limited number of time that you can drill for the first gear and the second gear but once you get your third gear then you can basically like non-stop drill as long as you're holding the shoulder button down um which is helpful for certain sections of the game that involve like platforming over long gaps where you have to kind of like chain different blocks together um stuff like that and you can you can do this from all different angles you can't do it diagonally but you can do left right up and down so you can like drill down onto the top of an enemy's head almost like uh links down uh down a move in smash brothers right like a stab down Um, and you can do an up stab as well where you can kind of like drill into objects and you know a lot of bosses take damage from from doing that Um, and there's lots of like like different little things like you'll see nails in the wall that you can drill in that will then open up other paths um yeah lots of puzzles and stuff built around it i would say the game gets a little weaker when you have to do stuff like okay well it's a classic platformer so we need to have a underwater level and we need to have a flying level and so they introduce like new facets of your machine to be like well now you can drill underwater but because you're using the drill to do it it just is a little bit cumbersome right um you you will generally have like less control in those spaces because they're trying to simulate the kind of you know the the water physics and you know underwater has never been the greatest thing in 2d platformers but especially here where you almost have to preempt stuff and like start moving before you think you should because it will take a, a bit longer to rev up to move out of the way so the boss of the underwater level for example throws a bunch of fish at you and you almost have to like start drilling before he started throwing the fish because otherwise you won't be able to get out of the way in time and then it's also slow to like turn back the other way to the right you know if you want to get out of the way of something um it's just a little awkward which i think the game almost understands in the sense that it gives you a lot of health it not only gives you like um one full health bar but then you have almost energy tanks underneath that so you you can also buy more of those as the game goes on i think i have four now so i basically have four full health bars Uh, to go through before i die now which is very helpful but also because i'm playing on you know emulation i can save state which is makes things much easier so you know when i'm fighting bosses i'm often just save stating at the start of the boss and you know when i get to a a checkpoint almost i'm like yeah i'll save state again because i don't want to die here so um yeah it's very much the type of game that i appreciate playing now because i have you know save states to to bounce off of and, and that helps a great deal um to kind of get over the archaic stuff and similar with the flying section which i've just done i just did the boss of that but like the boss of that section and like the whole area is like this vertical shaft up this building and you're kind of like drilling uh like having this almost helicopter thing with your drill to like get you higher and higher Um, and you can use in that instance you can hold down both buttons at the same time to hover mid-air so you can kind of like hang in the air as you kind of wait for the timing to get further up but it kind of gets a little bit pat your head and rub your stomach at the same time because the drill still acts in the same way so you have to build it up from one to two to three so it's almost like okay i need to build it up but also hover in the air at the same time but make sure i'm i'm building up while i'm hovering so that i can get it to the maximum of three and then you know that makes things a lot easier but um but yeah i definitely uh recommend checking out uh footage of this game if you haven't seen it before to kind of see what i mean when i'm talking about like the this kind of weird transparent overlay i think it these days they could have done a better job ui wise of making that work because it almost covers half the screen when you use it and you're drilling a lot um also i had to turn off the rumble in this game because it was making my amber just like buzz like hell because every time you drill it will just go crazy loud um so because you're drilling all the time I, was like, I can't like the rumble is nice but i can't i can't have this happen um it would be way way too much um i wonder if this uh this game had a rumble pack that came with it because i know some gba games did or at least what happened with Metro Prime Pinball was they used the GBA slot on the DS to give you a rumble pack. Almost, um, I think some GBA games had it. I'm not sure if this one did originally, but it has rumble in the menu. So I'm guessing there must have been a way to do it back then. Um, you know, maybe it was also for the the GameCube adaptability because you could put GBA into the GameCube um, player and and play through a GameCube controller. So I guess rumble would have existed for that functionality. But um, I don't know. I, I can't remember if that was the case. But um, but yeah, i have not finished it yet. It's, it's one of those games that it's my train game at the moment um and i'm probably over halfway through i would say Uh, i've played a a good number of levels the levels are very very long like they're really extended and um, they take a long time so usually one train journey will equal one level so for like half an hour 40 minutes or so uh which is good it's like a good meaty amount of kind of like Game to get through, uh, and it feels satisfying to like just play through one level at a time. You know, when I'm going on my commute, um, and uh, I think it it works really nicely. It's uh, it's really pretty as well. It has really nice pixel art. Uh, very very cool style to it. I like the character. It would be nice to see her in Smash Brothers. You know, it's another like one of those niche Nintendo characters that has a unique thing that could do something cool as a Smash Brothers character. I think she might have been an assist trophy, or maybe like uh, a trophy at least uh, in in some fashion in a previous Smash game. Probably is a uh, 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 spirit or whatever in in ultimate i would imagine but um yeah very very cool and i i do want to go back through game game freaks oeuvre uh, and see the rest of the kind of weird games that they they put out because um there's quite a few of them and uh stuff like harmonite like i'm really interested in which i picked up on 3ds e so uh do want to get back to some of those and check them out but um yeah really enjoying drill dozer so far and uh i'll, I'll probably end up finishing it you know eventually you know it, i only i'm commuting in once a week at the moment so i have a kind of like slow slow kind of play going on for this i've been playing it for probably over a month at this point but um yeah just thought i'd bring it up now because i don't know that playing more of it is going to change my thoughts on it i think i kind of have like a pretty solid opinion which is it's a really cool thing to go back to i'm enjoying it a lot it's nice to play with saves dates um i think it's unique and different um and worth checking out uh especially from a historical perspective if you're interested but also very fun and some fun puzzles so yeah drill dozer on the gba there you go all righty i think that is going to close us out for this segment but don't go anywhere we will be back after the break to take some of your emails see you in a bit
1: Welcome back to the second part of today's show. It is time for your emails. Um, We're doing okay for emails, but we do always need more because they run out really quickly. Send them in. If you would like to send an email, please send it to thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We also have a Discord server. We have a channel dedicated to emails where you can post thoughts and comments and questions. We'd appreciate posting there as well. But our first email... This week is from Jackpot from Vancouver in Canada, says, Man, those Splatoon Joy-Cons are pretty incredible. Come on, Nintendo, please let me buy them separately. I forgot if you've ever talked about it on the show, but do either of you own any special edition consoles? And also, which special edition consoles would you you say is your all-time favorite? Back in the day, I had the SB that looked like an NES and the turquoise blue N64, but since then i've had the standard editions looking forward to hearing your answers as always love the podcast cheers jackpot
0: very good uh yeah i mean joy cons is like the the one way of fashioning your switch these days i know they are putting out a bunch more switch versions they just announced a scarlet and violet switch um that has a pretty cool dock it looks like um but uh it because the switch is like so it leaves so little room on the front of it as a device to like Mm. have custom stuff it's usually the back of it that gets the custom stuff which is for me a little bit um yeah the dock as well which is and the joy cons which for me you know it's it kind of limits what you can do with a special edition version of the switch which is why i've never been that interested in like special edition ones because you know you can change the joy cons out i've got some super weird joy cons i've got the funky like purple and yellow one i basically bought the ugliest ones I, i thought i could and um they're not actually that ugly like you saw them i showed them to you when i uh brought my switch over and you're like yeah they look pretty cool i'm like yeah they are pretty cool uh, they, they stand out almost which is nice but um yeah it's um i think i think I actually think the biggest reason
1: we don't really have special edition consoles i know you've got one very good example yes. but we we buy consoles day one yeah <laughs> so, exactly and and i unless it's a handheld like so i did end up getting like a new 3ds uh, excel but like other than like occasionally a, a handheld upgrade we'll like never get like another version of the console so we're always yeah. stuck with vanilla but everyone knows me I like my vanilla so it's not the end of the world
0: yeah totally i think you know the timing has to line up especially with handheld consoles because i think you could have maybe gone for a I guess it's weird, though, because you wanted to get the brand new 3DS XL as soon as it came out, which means at that point in time, there wasn't a specific special edition of that console. So, it was just black and blue. Yeah, totally. Which means that, like, you were upgrading, but because you were upgrading within the release period of that thing anyway there still wasn't because all these versions come afterwards right like you always have to wait a bit of time for there to be yeah. variations on consoles um and it's usually i find it is usually handhelds that get the weird versions right like you do uh sometimes with nintendo get um console editions that are a bit off the wall but usually handhelds are the one that i think from a perspective of nintendo they they see that people like kind of like the fashion aspect of it and i think the new 3ds was a good example of that where they literally had face plates for it so you didn't even buy special editions of that you just bought face plates and kind of customized it how you wanted to which um i know people are kind of like up and down on, on that as an idea i think a lot of people prefer the uh just generally the idea of a full special edition console because it is like fully mm. painted on properly and, and all that sort of stuff but um yeah there is one really good example that i have which is my game boy color uh, so my sister originally owned a game boy color for whatever reason my she got a launch boy, version she got the purple one which was um you know <laughs> i think they had about just... five or
1: six launch colors actually with the game boy color. they did yeah it was it's... a big ad campaign it was like the green yeah. purple orange turquoise blue uh-huh. and uh, I can't remember the last colour. Yellow maybe? I
0: can't yeah, remember, yeah. Yeah. so like that. Um but yeah, they uh I feel like they don't do that as much nowadays either. It's launching with a bunch of colours. Do you remember like with GameCube they're like we're gonna have like twelve colours? Or maybe it was Wii. I think Wii, remember that screenshot of Wii that had like red and green and all these and then they realized oh we can't we've run out of just the base model so we can't do colors uh, so um you know it was they, just
1: white wii's for a very long time i seem to remember
0: the, i don't think they ever changed the color on wii or if there ever was a special are edition sh- of wii the only difference was the wii mini which was red and only in the uk and canada and was never sold are you sure they never launched a, a different colored wii? i mean i'm sure there's one there's the queen's gold speaking of the queen this episode the queen's golden wii um which was sent by nintendo as a gift to her majesty the queen that was then bought by someone online if you watch um people make games chris bratt who who runs that channel they did a whole thing about tracking down the queen's golden wii and there's i think this guy in uh maybe it's in um the netherlands who basically found it or bought it off ebay and now has it as part of his collection so he he owns the queen's golden wii which is a wii that is just gold that's basically what it is um but aside from that i can't think of any other colors there was a black
1: that released with Wii Sport uh We Sports Resort. Really? And then yeah, the other and the other one Oh, there was a blue a light blue one. And okay. that was red. There's a Mario really? bundle with red. I don't remember
0: any of these, but um yeah. yeah I guess uh But you're right, there so wasn't associated.
1: a full assortment that they basically hyped the Wii up with.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um but yeah in terms of handhelds that's generally uh the the ones they'll do most which is why the one that i have so my obviously my sister had the purple one um that's where i played pokemon blue and all that sort of stuff but then we went to america and that was around the time when gold and silver was coming out and you know i was as pokemon obsessed as you get at that age and i wanted gold i wanted silver so we bought both of them and also bought a special edition game boy color that was a pichu slash pikachu gold and silver game boy color that was it. Was the plan that you were gonna
1: get a game boy color because you kept using your sister's game yes. boy or was this a bit of a surprise for you at the time
0: i think it was a little surprise because i don't think i bought it myself i think my dad when we were off doing some other things eating lunch or something i think my dad went and bought it uh, so it was a little bit of a surprise for me but um yeah got both gold and silver as well as this special edition game boy which then became my Ooh. game boy so was it was
1: a bit of an impulse buy from your dad you might have seen it in the shop and been like yes that's the that's
0: yeah the i mean i i think i was asking for it i was like dad i need to get the new pokemon it's not out in, in the uk i
1: mean but i mean the the p2 pikachu special game boy that's what i mean
0: yeah i don't know that i i was even aware that that existed i think he just saw it and was like well that's a pokemon themed one i should probably get that i i do wonder that my dad is always after a bargain you know he's not you know you say impulse he's not an impulse person he will never do that uh very rarely uh does he ever do that so my i, I don't know if this is true i don't know if he, he will even remember uh my uh thought is that there was likely a deal where you could get both gold and silver and this game boy together for some <laughs> discount that is my thought on why he specifically went for that one because otherwise he would have gone for one that you know got the best deal possible so um, that's my guess anyway but uh hey whatever i ended up with an extremely cool game boy which basically depending on the light conditions it either looks silver or it looks gold uh and it's so cool like i still have it to this day uh it's back in edinburgh and kind of safely in my my game boy like uh i have a kind of um case that keeps all my game boy stuff in the games and uh still works to this day uh still a really really cool special edition game boy that again i didn't buy it myself because you know i don't go out there and buy special editions but it was i was in an age where i was pokemon obsessed and my my dad saw that and uh probably got a deal on it and uh hey there you go that's that's the very special edition game boy color that i own which i i treasure greatly i really really like that thing so it does hold a kind of sentimental place, I guess. Which is the nice thing about special editions, right? They almost... They feel special because they are, you know, they're different and not many people have them, right? I think
1: one example of a Nintendo console I did not get at launch. um, I was a bit, like, checked out of, like, gaming a ton at that point in time. uh, But I didn't buy a Wii U at launch. Now everyone's like, well, that was an obvious... (laughs) Obviously a good decision, Bally, because Uh the Wii U at launch didn't have a ton with it. But i got one a few months later um and and frustratingly i think it was a few months after after that or maybe it was like a year it wasn't a ton of time but that's when they released uh wind waker hd and that had a wii u that you could do, get a bundle oh uh, right, and it yes. was black with like gold zelda ornate design it was like highly in trimming basically yeah you know? highly in trimming and it looked incredible and obviously came with Wind Waker hd and i had already bought a wii u and i thought if i just waited a bit longer because it's like the one console i've not actually bought at launch yes um, i would have been well up for that and that's probably my favorite nintendo special edition console that i can remember
0: there's always been great zelda special edition consoles the one for me is the one that i really wanted and i never owned this version of the gba but the sp had some sick editions. They obviously they launched it with that weird like tattoo one that was like a UK oh God, yeah. specific one I think. I'm not sure if that t- tattoo one went anywhere else, but it was it almost felt like a UK marketing thing in a weird way. But um the special edition that I desired the most in the world was the Golden Zelda uh, SP that had the Triforce on the front. Mm. That thing launched was with Minish cap. With Minish cap. That thing was gorgeous. I was like, "Man, i really want to own that thing and i never ended up getting an sp so i just had like my regular gba and um i got the ds after that but yeah i I never was able to get that one if there is any special edition console in the world that i would love to own it would be that specific gba which i'm sure is absurdly expensive these days but like it was such a cool like it's so sleek because the the sp was such a sleek design of like this Mm. clamshell and like very very portable and just the gold and the triforce it just looked so so cool so that one always kind we of, did uh, end
1: up buying the skyward sword launch bundle which did yeah. include the gold because it was still that same very similar gold encrusted plastic <laughs> um yeah. like that sp uh for skyward sword the, the Wii mote with like the Hylian crest on it and um yes. motion plus inside it so you could play Skyward Sword.
0: yeah totally uh that was that was definitely cool um and there's definitely like custom controllers and stuff i've owned like I didn't buy a, a Switch Pro Controller at launch because I'm like, I don't need one of these things. I'll just use Nintendo's thing that they gave me. I played Breath of the Wild mostly with the um, the kind of Joy-Cons in that kind of case thing that comes with the Switch and I was fine with that. It was totally cool. But then my Joy-Cons started doing drifting stuff and I was like, oh, this is stupid. I need to get a Pro Controller. It's, it's
1: wild that it, it, Joy-Con drift occurred after playing one game, albeit a very yeah. long game, but there are many people, including you, like Zelda just did it to them, you know? Yeah,
0: Yep. Yeah um and it was i think it wasn't actually it might not have been joycon drift it might have just been like that thing that was you know the rubberized thing inside the Joy-Con, where like if you were further away from it yeah and you had to like put a bit of like uh what was it not plastic but a bit of like um something in there to 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 make it uh, go away to get rid of that signal it was like a signal problem basically mm. um that wasn't reading even though i was like right next to the switch like so close to it uh it was still having issues where link would just keep moving even after i moved the stick for whatever reason uh, which was pretty silly um but uh but yeah I, I i did eventually get a pro controller at the end of the year and uh you know they were starting to release special edition ones and they released a xenoblade special edition one because xenoblade 2 was coming out and i was like well this seems like a perfect time so i i got that one and that one is um it's got like the kind of reddish coloring underneath but it has like a really cool uh blue x uh over the front of it but otherwise it's pretty similar it's not like super garish it's not over the top um but yeah, I think that's that's a cool pro control. I think you have the Splatoon one, right? I do
1: have I have the Splatoon 2 one, which is green and pink. Nice. Um and Caroline bought the green and pink Joy-Cons like a while later, like two years later actually. Um yeah. and yeah the green and pink on my Joy-Con on my Pro Controller don't match the green and pink on her Joy-Cons which oh. is really weird. Um yeah. so either my Pro Controller is like faded in sunlight or something or they just went for a slightly different color even though it was the same um same idea which is very strange. That's weird.
0: Yeah um i guess other ones that i think sp is the one i always go to of like weird special editions There was the one which was just the pikachu face on the outside of mm-hmm. it which was uh very yellow there was but, a
1: mario one
0: yeah the one that it's i thought M was really cool was the famicom one um, oh yeah the that famicom one, yeah. specific one looked absolutely gorgeous they
1: released a series of nes games um just as gba cartridges i think yes. they they were like much cheaper as well. I think they were much cheaper. I say like I think they cost ten, twelve quid, but you can right. buy like an NES game on your
0: Game Boy Advance. Yeah, totally. Um, and the GBA Micro also had uh a bunch of those like different special editions. I think it was a Famicom version of that one as well. Game Boy Micro is one that I would really love to own one day, just for the sake of it, just because it's a weird little thing. They're really hard to get hold of, actually. Yeah, totally. Um, but I'd love I'd love to have one at I think some point. Go for a Switch Micro uh you know it could happen i would i would say nintendo's more likely to do that than a switch pro in all honesty uh they're <laughs> they're lunatics so they they would do that um did you i know you had an n64 that wasn't a launch one but it wasn't like a special version was it no
1: it probably was a launch one because i got it second hand but it was right it
0: was just the the it was like
1: a very dark gray yeah Very and there,
0: there were a bunch of weird n64s out there there was like yeah. the weird like
1: the clear plastic is something like but they went for it with both the n64 uh and the was it the game boy pocket or was it a game boy Co- i think it was a game boy pocket where they go right. for the clear plastic and then obviously like the launch gba had the clear plastic that was the one i had yeah um i think the, was it the two three colors they launched game boy advance with it was yeah. clear blue, mm-hmm. like a an opaque bluey purple. Almost yeah. like a almost like a, a GameCube purple. Yes, very cool. And close. then the third one was like a clear white or an opaque white. I can't mm. remember. Um but yeah. No, I own I, like so I owned like a, a clear plastic launched Game Boy Advance and that that was cool.
0: Yeah um the n64 had some weird ones like the pokemon stadium one in particular which i think was the one that they had at burger king that was just like so garish like the blue and yellow of the pokemon colors um and like a a controller that went along with it that was i think um, it was
1: a hey you pikachu n64 rather than pokemon stadium because it had a big Pikachu on it.
0: Interesting. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking on Google now, and it says Pokemon Stadium Battle Set. So it looks like it hmm. came with Pokemon Stadium that that particular N64. But um, you know, Hey, you Pikachu obviously came with a microphone as well, which was hmm. a, a whole different thing unto itself. But um, yeah i don't know i it is one of those things that i think special editions these days just because the way that the switch is are not as exciting i think 3ds actually had some really good ones too like there are a couple of pokemon 3ds um special editions that i remember some people in the pokemon community back in the day bought um like i think there was also a zelda one as well that was very cool um similar to what happened with the sp there are a couple there was like the majora's mask gold one there was Mm. one with the triforces that was linked between worlds um you know a couple of really really cool ones on 3ds so i think 3ds is probably the last system that had like an abundance of special editions oh that was the one it was the x and y with um xerneas and eveltal on the outside it was blue looks so so cool probably one of the best looking special edition uh 3 dss um so yeah that that was another one that i saw a bunch of people in the community getting and was a little jealous of as well as the fire emblem one the fire emblem one also very cool but that was a regular 3ds and not an xl so it was less appealing i think because it was um no, by that point in time, people are kind of moving on, I think, to, to the next version. So. I
1: think that um, the Animal Crossing Switch 1 looks very good. And I know that it's yeah. very popular online. Um, Definitely. Real clean finish.
0: But yeah. Mm-hmm yeah so loads of special editions out there most of them we don't own but you know i don't know i'll probably hit a midlife crisis soon and start buying stuff so who knows what's <laughs> going to happen
1: i mean i've owned my switch for five years so if nintendo don't bloody well put out a switch pro i might have to get a second switch i don't I,
0: know i mean like the oled seems so appealing yeah um, yeah
1: if they do like a fancy advance wars reboot the switch there we go oh that's, that's what this delay's all about you Absolutely. know it's coming
0: it's coming that would, that would be great um, so, yeah, Our
1: next email is from Wade, who's from Brisbane, Australia. It says, Hi guys, hope you're both well. The first time I emailed the pod, I called you both childless Nintendo geeks. Then Bally uh-huh. dropped the huge news about Baby Bally, trademark, <laughs> on, the ne- on the next episode. Well played, sir. I look forward to hearing what earth-shaking event MBZ is going to spring on us.
0: It's funny that he mentions that, because I think that was that was in our mind when we brought that email onto the show because like we very much knew that this was going to happen and we we still answered it we still answered it as if you know you know you're not going to have a child so very funny
1: i first would like to acknowledge your hard work in keeping up your regular podcasting schedule despite some major changes in your personal and professional lives i have a four-year-old and a one-year-old and getting time to even listen to podcasts is a, a precious commodity let alone making time to record one awesome work guys my question for you is regarding games that do not get the recognition that they deserve, specifically games that innovated the mechanic or style of gameplay before a later more famous game uh, became the more prominent example. For me, it is the Sega Master System game Wonder Boy 3 The Dragon's Trap, released in 1989. This game is basically a fully featured Metroidvania and was released five years before Super Metroid. I love both games and am not someone who gets hung up on defining game categories but cannot feel that the Metroidvania genre glosses over Dragon's Trap despite it birthing the genre fully formed. It obviously has its fans as the incredible remake shows but deserves a much larger audience. Do either of you have a similar example? Thanks
0: again, Wade thank you wade um yeah i i want to try that Dragon's Trap remake it looks really nice like the the kind of like polish of coat of paint they put on it is, is very cool i did hear that it's like it's a little not janky but it's a little uh, underbaked when it comes to those systems and I, and I wonder if that's the thing here right is that ultimately the game that gets remembered for being the one that kind of does it right is the game that basically Isn't the first to the bat, right? Like even if Wonder Boy was the first to bat, Super Metroid was the one that made it good, you know. And not to say Mm. Wonder Boy is bad, but like Super Metroid really nailed it, basically out the gate. And and Um,
1: it's almost like the game that can nail the stuff that goes beyond the mechanic is the game that sticks in a way. Because Super Metroid, as great as it is mechanically, is remembered for it's eeriness it's bosses it's music yeah. it's presentation like it goes right. beyond just the the nuts and bolts
0: yeah which is why another good example is wolfenstein 3d and doom right doom is often remembered as like the innovator in the first person shooter genre despite the fact that wolfenstein 3d came first and kind of paved a path for doom to follow but really you know wolfenstein is it's cool like it's it's got all of those mechanics but ultimately doom is the game that really made it interesting from a level design perspective and from a like you know atmosphere and kind of like all those kind of like iconic elements you know super metroid is iconic i wouldn't call wonder boy iconic and same with doom and wolfenstein right doom is iconic just because of all those elements that came together to create this thing that was larger than the sum of its parts um while also being one of the first to kind of do it properly so so yeah i i think there's definitely a lot of examples of this out there and a lot of them are probably very old games because of you know how far we've come with video game genres anymore you know i would say like maybe the most modern example is pubg and Fortnite, where like Fortnite has kind of become the de facto battle royale even though it basically just ripped off PUBG and was like fortnite was a failing game it's so funny to me that fort like fortnite was this thing that you heard about at events for like eight nine years of like epics making this game it's the survival thing it was basically trying to be minecraft um and then they're like well this is failing let's just steal what PUBG did and all of a sudden it's the biggest game in the world because they provided a free-to-play model to it and you know just built it out as this this entire thing and because it did it in such a smart and effective way that targeted you know, a different audience, an audience of younger people, um, it became the de facto thing. Uh, even though clearly PUBG was the thing that it did it first. But even then, not even PUBG was the first thing that did it. PUBG was like a spin off of a bunch of mods that had been happening in the armor community. Like spinning off of DayZ. if we want to talk about like going back to like that type of stuff. Like uh, player unknown started by doing stuff like Daisy and then uh managed to kind of like work in these other mods and like i think pubg started as a mod for uh, one of the armor games anyway so like you can really trace the origin back but really if the genre finally stuck fully with fortnite in terms of the wider public consciousness um so mm. yeah this kind of stuff doesn't happen too often anymore but i would say that's kind of the best modern example of it a game
1: that I actually own but never really played a ton of, uh, but often gets overshadowed by other games and was arguably the first in the genre, I believe, is actually Jet Force Gemini on the N sixty four. Okay. For like, yeah. For like the third person shooter kind of thing you know i mean Fortnite wouldn't exist without jet force gemini sure, of honest. course like, yes you know, thanks so, rare <laughs> but you, even like the way it's not just Fortnite, obviously but games like you know uncharted and huge successful games like that like third right. person shooting there's obviously a ton of games in between that i can't think of right now but yeah
0: i mean gears of war kind of like became the thing that innovated that right. type of game for the 360 era you know with cover base shooting and stuff like that it
1: was a cover base yeah but totally jet force was kind of a for all that, which is quite exciting. A lot of mine are actually quite modern because I've kind of focused on games that had a really cool mechanic mm. and haven't been fully developed since, even though okay. they are quite modern. Yeah. So I think, I don't think we talk enough about the removing of lives with Super Meat Boy. I don't, sure, as much yeah. as Super Meat Boy is talked about, I think that, um, the removing of lives is even if infected super mario odyssey when we step back which is incredible but sadly not splatoon 3 but um i think that's a huge deal and i think obviously celeste is a game that is inspired largely especially that aspect lack of lives but then a game like celeste with its coyote time and other stuff it does mechanically really hasn't been replicated since i don't think in the 2d platforming space and like 2d platformers are a really weird modern genre and the interesting thing about super meat boy and celeste is that they're like modern incarnations of that genre where there used to be so many 2d platformers and now it feels like there's hardly any in comparison like i think that i think that the history books will look back on celeste as the one when really meat boy was kind of carving out the both of them are innovative and and yeah and game changing in their own way but i think meat boy arguably was the first and has the more the it, it, it it has the bigger ideas first if that mm. makes sense as much as celeste has cool
0: ones it fundamentally changed the idea of what a platformer could be with like how short the levels were how quick burst everything was you know mm. like that's a thing that has become almost a subgenre of platforming because of super meat boy because it it basically looked at the trends of what was happening in platforming games and kind of bucked all of them uh, and i think that's why it kind of stands out as like something really special yeah. i i actually had rayman origins on here which is almost like a kind of takes what super meat boy did but then applies it to more traditional platformers where Mm, like the levels are longer but i think rayman origins doesn't get enough credit to be like a as a modern 2d platformer that really did excellent stuff um generally across the board
1: and Um, and on meat boy and celeste I'd, i'd argue stuff like um you know celeste is to super meat boy is a bit like hades is to dead cells in some way you know like
0: i mean in dead cells is to rogue legacy I, I would go as far back as rogue legacy true, true. as like the real obviously rogue-like games were happening around this period you have stuff like spelunky and the binding of isaac but rogue legacy for me stands out and the reason i think it's really important is it applies the progression aspect that i needed for these games to work right because so many of those other games are pure roguelikes which means there is no carrying over of anything you just restart again every time and it's just a fresh new thing whereas rogue legacy was like okay cool but what if we had a bit of meta progression to go along with it and that was the thing that got me into the genre because otherwise i don't think i would have ever been interested in roguelikes Because i just don't like that idea of making no progression whatsoever so yeah. rogue legacy coming in and being like Oh, well actually this is what we can do. We can upgrade this castle, we can give you new abilities and help you get further by not just your own skill, but also by kind of buffing you up alongside that. So, yeah, that for me is the one that should get a lot more credit, I think.
1: Um, and then one that is it 2011 or 2012, I can't remember, but the game you made me play or suggested I play, uh-huh. um, and its mechanics haven't been replicated since, in my view, is marker of the Ninja. Ooh, yeah. Like, I don't think... There's a game, or many games, that do 2D stealth. in the... So I've played like Stealth Inc. 2, and that is just... Yeah. I really didn't enjoy that game in comparison to Mark and the Ninja.
0: It's more of a puzzle platformer as well, as opposed to a stealth game, I would say.
1: Right. Um, so the fact that Mark and the Ninja just nails 2D stealth to a degree that just has not... Seeing the light of day again. And maybe that's harsh because I think that a lot of 2D Metroidvanias might have stealth sections. Games like Ori, I believe, have stealth sections. Modern Metroids.
0: Yeah, and Metroid Dread obviously has a bunch of that stuff as well. Totally.
1: So. And obviously, there's a ton of stealth sections and loads of 3D games now as well, like Last of Us and Open World Games. And, like, it's just become the idea of, like, a a focused stealth game, like a Metal Gear. There's really not as many of them now as there were. And maybe that's to do with maybe, like, gamers' patience for Mm -hmm. stealth. Yeah, definitely. Mark of the Ninja does take patience at times, for sure. It
0: does, but also I think it's designed in such a way that you can mess up and still get away with things, and it's like it's so it's so clear with everything that you can do and also the enemies can do. The information it provides you is so, you know, it's so obvious that it makes it so approachable as a mm. stealth game, uh, and it kind of loses that frustration because you've you, often in stealth games you're like well how did that person see me whereas mark of the ninja there is never any doubt as to what happened there or how you were seen or how you were heard right it's all so clearly indicated to you that i think it always falls on your shoulders more so than like oh i'm frustrated at the stealth game because it's you know clumsy and it's not you know like there's, there's missions in spider-man with miles morales where you're just like going through this area oh got spotted well let's restart the whole thing again and that's frustrating yeah. to me that's bad yeah. um and yeah you're right i don't I don't know that there are any other 2D stealth games that like are on this level. Um, I don't know if there are 2D uh,
1: games with stealth elements. So I think of like um, Katana Zero. I think yeah. there's like elements in that, but it's not a stealth game. It's predominantly action, obviously, yeah. and yeah. you know. So yeah, I just think it's a real area that if someone wants to really go for you know, um, 2D stealth. I'd, I'd be interested. you know. Yeah, I don't think definitely. it's been returned to you in a meaningful way, which is surprising.
0: Yeah. Um, one that I think uh, a few people kind of call out, but this game is like, very not niche but like only uh, kind of small fan base to it but uh, z targeting obviously everyone a- attributes to ocarina of time uh, mm. there was a 3D game bali that came before ocarina of time that used this system as well uh, that game is mega man legends uh, that came out for the playstation and i believe n64 i think it might be named something different on the n64 but um, z targeting uh, was a mega man legends uh, thing that uh, you know it actually did it before ocarina of time did but obviously mega man legends you know it's a good game but as we were talking about before it's not an iconic game in the same way that ocarina of time is and so like that's the one that always gets the credit for innovating in these ways um even though technically a year beforehand mega man legends had already implemented a system just like this which is very very interesting but um Mega Man Legends is one of those games I'd love to go back to because it's, it seems like it's, it basically is a Zelda Mega Man game, which is really cool, uh, and, I, and I do want to check it out at some point. Um, hopefully they do like a re-release of it. They've done enough re-releases of other Mega Man games on Switch, so I'm, I'm sure Legends and Legends 2 would be good ones for them to bring out. And, you know, they were going to make Legends 3 at one point on 3DS. It was, uh, remember our old Australian guy on YouTube, the 3DS guy? He was talking about Mega oh, Man yeah. Legends 3 all the time and the I demo. I All that stuff. Wow. So He was
1: the proper hype hype. Yeah, yes, guy.
0: Absolutely. So um so yeah, that's a, that's a good example. Uh and then one that where I think like it was just ahead of its time is Wave Race 64. The physics in the chat. water, for yeah. Wave Race 64 so far ahead of anything else uh in that sense. Um and, you See, know, the
1: thing about Blue Storm on the GameCube is sure it's a prettier game, but when you actually break down the actual water physics, there's nothing more technically advanced in and- Blue Storm than 64 in my opinion. Yes. Like obviously it's a better looking game, but that that actual like water physics and the way that it looks is was really shocking when we played that in the backlog club. I was it's so like, blown really away by
0: it. You know, to do that on N sixty four, to have that kind of like that simula that level of simulation back then is honestly mind-blowing like it is it's so impressive
1: it really affects the race and the way that you ride like yes. it's it, you really have to like see waves coming and adjust accordingly and you know it's not just a case of weaving through boys easily like you really have to plan and maneuver and mm-hmm. it's a very hard game but like that you're right that, that that was one of the most shocking things honestly i've seen in a video game um even as someone who's played Blue Storm.
0: Yeah, totally. Um so yeah, shout out to that game. Uh I think is I don't know that there are many other games like Wave Race that have come out since. Like there's obviously games no. that use water physics like open world games and stuff like that or you know, I think there are certain racing games that that do do that stuff, but it's always like in the context of other stuff within that racing game like there was that Ubisoft I think maybe Riders republic has some water stuff in it as well um you know i but there's not a lot of kind of follow through from that particular genre i guess so it kind of stands stands alone in in some ways um i would say probably the biggest example is like almost multi-layered where you have something like final fantasy which is the iconic rpg right but then also clearly final fantasy was inspired by dragon quest but then really dragon quest was inspired by ultima ultima obviously a kind of like a western rpg but dragon quest was kind of like built on the bones of ultima and i think ultima is a thing that is remembered by very old people and no one else cuz no one else really knows about it but um that i think is one of those where the jrpg and dragon quest as a whole owes a lot to actually western rpg traditions and obviously going back further than ultima is D itself right so like there's this kind of clear progression totally
1: jr token invented jrpgs we he think, did we've had this discussion he
0: did yeah very much so that is you know you keep going back and eventually you hit tolkien and um, <laughs> exactly. and yeah you know final fantasy 14 that i'm playing right now it's all to do with tolkien 100%. Uh, always, always it's so always. funny as well because like one of the first things i know is playing final fantasy 14 is one of the you have like three hub towns depending on what class you choose you start in one of three hub towns and the one i started in was like the classic like green village like foresty area really comfy and cozy the music i'll send it to you afterwards but the music for gridania which is that area sounds so lord of the rings it is unreal there is like there are motifs in that music that literally sound like they've been just copy and pasted from um you know the hobbits uh, or the hobbiton kind of like soundtrack of being in that area it's it's kind of crazy so uh yeah very literally uh, Tolkien is like the origin uh, of rpgs in, in lots of ways so uh, but yeah I'd, I'd say like no one talks about ultima uh, in terms of like the origin of, of rpgs mm, but it's, it's definitely one that is, is worth checking i've, I've got
1: on. one last one yeah. and i'm kind of flipping it on its head again where this is like a modern idea of something that's more t- traditional so like obviously open world games you know have been incredibly popular the last 15 or so years since gta and assassin's creed i guess um as much as this game got a lot of praise i still don't think a short hike gets the praise it deserves where mm. the number one thing that turns people off Open world games is length and repetition, and you know they people might have played a handful of open world games and thought, oh, right, well, I don't really want to play another one because it's so long. I don't just want a cluster of, you know, um icons to go and check out, and you know, as much as there's great games that do that, you know, I think there's a lot of the industry that is quite burned by it, including us at times. And obviously, Breath of the Wild in 2017 reinvented a lot of these ideas, and that was great, and that got ton of praise deserves all the praise it got we love breath of the wild however i do think a short hike is like iterative beyond that where it takes the breath of the wild formula and condenses it into a short three to four hour experience which for like an open world game is just so unbelievably cool and i know a short hike came out fairly recently like the last three four years yeah but... i mean
0: like a short hike is very clearly inspired by breath of the wild right like you can see but and
1: there's not been enough time for a short hike likes if that makes sense you know so so maybe i'm i'm jumping the gun but my point is like it's such a great idea that i want to see more small open world games able to do something similar and it's we've not had that yet and i just think a short hike and i've obviously pushed really hard in our top 50 games Uh all time for it but like that game is actually unbelievable and i love it
0: yeah Uh, i mean i i wouldn't fully agree with it just because i think that it it basically takes what breath of the wild did um and does a lot of similar things um and obviously like visually it's definitely calling back to other stuff but i do i do like that idea of a smaller open world game um and yeah you're right i don't know that there are any other games that have yet to do that so it's um it definitely stands out at the moment um so we'll see we'll see in the future because i'm sure you know this might happen where there'll be another smaller open world game that then gets all the praise and then short height gets forgotten about and then you could say like well you know totally. i was there first totally. yeah, with that. so who, who knows but uh yeah i i think that's that unless you have any more examples about
1: no, not not really. I I love Night in the Woods, but I don't think it's like. I still
0: don't think that game gets the recognition that Zerus. But that's a slightly different question. Sure. Yeah. Totally. Um, awesome. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for today's show. Uh, well, for part of it anyway. If part you, if you're someone who has played Live Alive, then stay tuned after the credits because uh, Bally and I will have a bit of a spoiler-filled chat about that game. But uh, if not, uh, then we will leave you here and we will uh, send you off with all of our links and things. Um, so obviously, you can uh, find us in various places on the internet. On Twitter, we are at TNL Podcast, where you can go for updates about what's happening and stuff like that. And sometimes when YouTube videos versions of the podcast break, like happened last time. Uh, that is definitely something to be updated on, so you can go there for that. You can also follow me at LordNBZ Bally. Where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at Ballyman91. That's B A
1: L L Y M A N nine one
0: fantastic you can also find the show in various places across the internet we're on spotify we're on stitcher you can download us on any podcasting app Uh, just search for this nintendo life and you can subscribe to us and we'll pop into your feed every couple of weeks with a new episode so good thing to do as well as review us on spotify if you have not done that yet and you don't listen on spotify it's very easy go to the app listen to us for like one minute and they'll let you review us and give us a star rating and that would be very appreciated because uh, it helps a different audience kind of find the show and, and that would be really, really good because you know, Spotify is the kind of biggest uh, platform for discovery for the podcast these days as mm. Apple Podcasts has kind of fallen off. So uh, yeah, any help with that would be very appreciated. So go on. Thank and you to everyone who's
1: given us. us a rating so far. Absolutely. We've got, we've got quite a Absolutely. few, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, uh, you can, of course, obviously support the show if you so wish to get bonus podcasts where we talk about not Nintendo stuff um as well as like bonus little conversations about things like the queen dying which is probably what we're going to talk about this time um, and you can support us over on patreon if you go to patreon.com slash this nintendo life uh, and you can choose a tier there to support us and we have some people to thank for supporting us barely
1: yes we have a new 10 dollar tier patron that we would like to thank as wicked gamer uk allen thank you for your 10 dollar tier support um and thank you to all of our 10 dollar tier patrons they are zach s atari alex thomas matthew albert and wicked gamer uk allen as i just mentioned um but thank you to all of our other patrons it's hugely appreciated the support you give the show um it really keeps the show on the road and we we really appreciate that absolutely you yeah. should also say we're gonna do a show in a week's time and there's a game that mbz and i have been playing uh-huh. and- messaging furiously back and forth about um uh-huh. it's got a game called immortality you might uh-huh. have heard about it and we've got a lot to say about that game so i think we're probably going to do some spoilery thoughts but also some non-spoilery thoughts on the game so you won't want to miss that one
0: yes that'll be our nintendo show so that'll be on patreon next week uh if you would like to uh take a listen yes it's uh, uh everyone should play that game i think uh it's wild uh it's it's a crazy crazy experience and worth experiencing so yeah definitely sure. worth checking out um cool uh also want to shout out the discord as well we have now got a splatoon channel in there so uh, if you want to match up with people and play some games with friends that's really good one of the things i didn't mention actually when talking about splatoon 3 is how seamless and easy it is to play with other people on your friends list because the reason i was chatting with devin last night is because he just messaged me on discord being like gg i was like what are you talking about and then i realized he had been in my splatoon 3 game for like the last two matches um and i just hadn't noticed because the game didn't tell me i think you could do that in two it was just a bit slower yeah but like the game didn't tell me he was in there i was like it should really tell you that you're is in there also like zenith who, who's from our discord who popped in there crm doodle popped in there a few people popped in and played matches alongside me and i didn't like sometimes didn't realize until like after the match was done it's like oh that person was playing either against me or. And with me. Then plays differently um, when he
1: knows who he's playing like if, i do if, yeah. he, if he sees me on the other side of the map people will sacrifice his old whole team <laughs> to just go after bali right right in the corner it's like yep
0: good Thanks. fun it's good fun anyway um yeah so if you do want to play splatoon 3 with some folks uh head on over to the discord uh and yeah i'll be i'll be playing a bunch over there as well so uh yeah, you can hop on and check that out um i think that's it i think that's us bally uh we'll uh that is us we'll be back soon i think in a couple weeks time and uh be able to talk about um our further thoughts on splatoon 3 and stuff and bally supposedly you know jeff grubb said that the queen dying may have impacted the nintendo direct but recently he just said it I hasn't know. impacted it so yeah there might be a nintendo direct soon um it might not work out well for our timing i don't know what we want to do about that um but we'll see if we wanted to do a emergency episode if that even works out timing wise for us we'll see but if not if one does happen we'll probably talk about it then the episode after unless fingers like...
1: crossed i think the big rumor is obviously like Waker and twilight princess yeah. remasters on switch which is great they did, needed yeah. to come out three years ago but anyway if we get if it's like zelda focused and we get breath of the wild 2 information that would be unbelievable and gives us hope again for this game coming out in spring because at the yep. moment it's not coming out in spring
0: no absolutely not absolutely not um so we'll see uh, and yeah we'll, we'll keep you up to date on twitter and stuff like that if we are gonna jump in uh, and talk about that early but we'll we'll see how time works because you know schedules and stuff like that so we shall see anyway thank you everybody for listening we'll be back in a couple of weeks time for guaranteed for sure to talk about more video games but until then thank you and goodbye interlude used on today's show was Splatack from Splatoon 3. Copyright Nintendo 2022. All right, welcome back, you sickos, you anime weebs. We're here with the real deep dish on uh, Live Alive, a video game that came out um, that Bally has played and I have played now and finished, uh, and Bally wanted to talk a bit more spoilers about because there's kind of like a structural thing that happens in the back half of this game mm. um, that's pretty cool, uh, and there's some changes and some interesting stuff that goes down, and uh, we thought we would have a bit of a spoiler segment on it because it's uh, it's hard to kind of like go into detail about it on the kind of yeah, main thing. Yeah. Main kind of part of the show so thought we would just kind of chat through it
1: everyone's talking about those first seven chapters and that's great and we've done that but we want to talk about eight and nine
0: yes absolutely um so bali do you want to dive in here and kind of like talk about uh, what happens in live alive the thing i love about chapter
1: eight is you jump in and it's medieval and you think okay right well we've done all these other themes we've done the cowboys and the near future and the far future and the prehistoric and it's all been pretty good stories, a lot of them are very tropey and that's okay, and you're into this medieval one, and you're straight into the medieval tropes, so like, you're this supposed, like, kind of knight fellow, and you're Mm -hmm. fighting to win the hand of the princess, and you do this little mini tournament, and it's all very medieval, very 90s JRPG going on right now, and it's tropey trope trope, the prince you win the tournament, the princess gets stolen away by bad guys, and you go through this quest with your sorcerer mage person, and you meet another big knight, and mm-hmm. you meet and like it's it like, is right. very
0: much just Dragon Quest One. Like it's it so
1: it is. beat by beat yeah. and really predictable. And you're thinking, okay, well, I guess we're into like medieval tropiness now.
0: It's even like so JRPG that they bring back random battles, right? Like yes. So in the rest of the game, everything is like you can see enemies on the map and stuff like that. Um, and uh, here they're just like, no, we're back in, and it's just going to be. Did you have random battles, battles
1: in prehistoric? As well? Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that is the other one. They but have, um, but yeah. And this this chapter is a bit longer now. It's a feeling a bit more like adventure-like as a result, and then it just takes a really really dark turn where you are essentially betrayed by the sorcerer in your team yes um and he's
0: the one you beat in the tournament at the beginning he's the one you beat in the uh, tournament at the beginning
1: turns out he was with uh, in love with the princess the whole time and that she also loves him yeah um which is interesting uh so he wants to get you and he He uses some sort of spell to trick you into thinking that the king is some evil villain. And in the night, you go to the king's chambers thinking that it's an evil villain. You kill the evil villain. It turns out he actually tricked you into killing the king. And you suddenly become an enemy of the realm. And you're, like, rejected from the castle. And you have to go out on this, like... You're essentially, like, running away from knights and things. And your character, Orsted, is just, like what is going on and like it's it's really cool and then eventually you come back and fight like um you fight like the big bad that's like well you fight him don't you and it kind of yeah. all manipulates back on itself and turns out that you know the princess then i think do you kill the mage and then she kills herself
0: I think, yeah, something really dark like that basically happens because it's almost a Romeo and Juliet thing where she comes back and she's like, oh, what have you done? Like, you're. I didn't want to be with you and they have multiple flashbacks to that first scene up on the kind of balcony where right. you're first talking to her and I remember at the time when they they first show that thinking like there's something about this feels a bit off like she's clearly like doing her duty but like definitely doesn't want to be married to this dude but mm. is like just kind of like putting on a, a good front to it basically um and then you see that was very much the case because not only does she not want to be married to this guy but she was hoping i think the other guy would win because he's the person she was actually in love with so um, yeah very very dark so
1: then when she kills herself and is it then that orsted gives like this monologue to the camera yeah, where yes where he's like i've done everything i can i've 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 been trying to be a good and true to my values and all this thing and everything's been thrown back in my
0: face he basically but, but here's the thing right is he is a mute silent protagonist for the whole that point, of that yeah. point he doesn't talk you don't have any because even in some of the other characters like orobomaru the ninja you hear him speak when you take dialogue lines otherwise he's quite silent right. whereas you never hear ersted's voice through the entire uh time and then i think the impact of that the impact of like him talking directly to the camera that's what really got me was like oh okay and, something uh, has changed and it's here. at
1: that point i think i realized oh okay we're not gaining an eighth character to our merry crew um this was actually a prequel chapter for the enemy of the entire game this was the villain's origin story yeah um and i just thought that was it's maybe my favorite chapter in the game i think it was really well done i wasn't seeing it coming and i love the way it starts so tropey and goes basically as dark as it can possibly go i think it's really clever um, and cinematically done really well. Like we've talked about this new H D Two D the way they handle certain cutscenes and yeah, that monologue, the way that she stabs herself, like the princess, it's it's done it's really impactful. Um and then yeah. the chapter ends and you go into chapter nine, which is a little more um by the numbers, but still yeah. quite interesting.
0: There is it it really actually also reminds me of Chrono Cross, like Chrono Cross has a as a moment like Similar to when Ursted like suddenly talks, which also like really threw me off um and I think it's a really you it it shows how effective you can be with storytelling with limited resources back with these older games, right like there are ways in which you can like build up expectations and then break those expectations, mm. and him just suddenly talking out of nowhere, it signals a couple of things like one that he he is now basically out of your control and he has completely changed and and turned and um, right. and i think that's like a very cool and crucial like detail to be like no this isn't this isn't your character anymore and like almost you you brought him to this point and now now you're gonna have to fight him um but also if you want to you, you can, can like yeah. choose him and in Chapter 9, which I haven't actually gone back and looked at that, stuff. So have you gone back and checked out on YouTube or anything? Uh, there's not a
1: lot online about like alternate endings and videos. Maybe there is now. I should check back. But I believe there's about four or five endings. So there's like, you play as Orsted, you win. You play as Orsted, you lose. You yeah. play as the group, you take on Orsted. Or you play as the group, you then reject taking on Orsted, and you fight the, like, the right. seven...
0: And that that Mini has, bosses. like, different variations depending on if you've got all the characters or not. Because I, I didn't get all the characters. Right.
1: If you've got all the characters, there's one final, final boss, which is a bit more, um, uh, what's the, it's a little bit victory lap, that final, yeah, final yeah. boss. It's not too difficult. In the same so. way that, like, when you fight all the bosses that you've collected, yes. those ones aren't difficult either. Although the final yeah. boss, I do think, is tricky. It did take me, did I do it second time? Third, second time? I think, I think you I said second 18. time you did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah did um, you say you were level 20 odd when- i was 21 when i did it and i was yeah. i was
0: able to do it first time so it wasn't too bad um but yeah i don't know i think um i i do like that chapter 8 and the twist and stuff i then think that chapter 9 is a little weaker because it basically it, it becomes more of a 90s jrpg <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's basically like okay well you know you can go to the last boss now just like final fantasy 6 is like well you yeah. can go and fight Kafka, but you're just not going to have enough levels you're going to be underpowered especially final fantasy VI is a bit brutal with it because you have like 12 characters in that game and because you have to split yourself into three parties that all have to be competent you have to have leveled everyone up basically which right. is a little bit annoying and like the worst part of that game
1: and if you want to do the full finish with seven characters and not get swept you kind of have to do that a little bit here
0: where you, you the actually natural- yeah i don't think you actually do because i had one bonus so i had cube the robot as a bonus character and um i found that because you just fight him with the four characters the main boss but that's
1: but that's what i mean if you've got the seven characters you've got the bonus boss and the bonus boss you have to use all seven characters
0: oh okay right interesting yeah i i don't know like how how much harder that would be like having them all leveled up versus because i did watch through that and it didn't seem like it would have been that hard i guess like because you have four really strong characters even if the other ones are all underpowered you should still be able to get through it right because i
1: think it's because they they kind of rotate through the bat match a bit like they don't all fight at the same time so you kind of get a little bit sweat but anyway interesting. um, neither of us did all seven and i think all seven would have taken a good
0: extra amount of time Um, i actually was thinking it wouldn't have taken that much longer just because you just need to collect them you don't necessarily need to level them up right so yeah i mean they've all got their designated
1: like dungeon thing that you don't necessarily have to do but if you wanted you'd get like their bonus item and ever so slightly more story but um yeah as much as i agree i don't think that chapter is the strongest and it falls a lot into like the tropes and there's a little it's a little bit grindy but it's not too bad as long as you're just
0: it's not as bad as i thought it was going to be no because um, you're
1: just doing the level up you're just doing i just did the dungeons of the four characters i did which were uh cube uh shifu's apprentice yes because um, you Ob- can have multiple of the shifu's yeah Obura, Masu and yeah. um akira they were like my team and yeah so i did their four quests and then i went and fought the boss and did it a second time and like that was i was very satisfied with how that all wrapped up and it, that final chapter must have taken me four five hours maybe which is is, is much longer than the other chapters but yeah it's not too yeah. bad and i don't think it's, it's as grindy as final fantasy 6 you're right no definitely not i don't know um, how else they necessarily would have wrapped up um i know you said you would have liked a bit more reason why they were all there i i totally yeah, agree i just yeah. think there's little things you could have done or just a cutscene of orsted going like i'm going to summon all these characters to come and fight or i don't know some Tropy stuff like that
0: you know i think one it's maybe implied right but he the the demon is called odio and yeah every you realize every boss of each individual area has As an incarnation of or Ode, yeah or their name is associated with odio in some way right um like od io or whatever is the the samurai guy and like right um you know the robot is like oh zero d one zero or whatever like, <laughs> right. because it's done with numbers instead um <clears throat> so it's it's cool that they they almost thread that idea also like i was thinking about this and i because the, the very first thing i ever did in live alive in the demo was start with the ninja scenario and the start of that scenario shows um the final boss talking to like three alien entities like sitting on these pillows in front of him and i thought that that would be a setup that then would be explained but it feels like it's a setup that is then never explained but almost is implied by the end of the game where all everything comes together i I don't know if you remember that but that's like Hmm, the start of that scenario and you never get much more kind of closure on that which is i was
1: certainly there were certain storylines in those seven chapters where the, the big bads as it were would might have like two sidekicks that they talk to and scheme and yeah the japanese scenario is one of them i think like akira's was another one i was like one yeah. of these is like the main thread as it were and i guess obviously it turns out that neither of the main thread the main thread is or or audio etc yeah and yeah i just a little bit more explanation on that kind of thing could have been nice, but but it it, it still works.
0: Yeah, again, like I think this is this is the nineties JRPG in it that is like we don't need to explain. These people just come together because they do, you know. Like, yeah. I guess there's this there's this thread connecting them throughout time, which is odio and like I guess like infiltrating himself through these beings throughout history with all those statues right Mm. um so it's almost implied and then they just because those are the the forces that have been able to deal with those incarnations of odio those are the ones who are then almost that makes sense sucked sucked into the uh portal as
1: as as predictable as it is i still think it's really cool just the avengers assemble nature of like right i'm going to take my four favorite characters from my four favorite chapters and we're going to go take on the final boss as as simplistic as that is for like a video game it was still very fun to execute um and
0: totally and but but it also has the octopath traveler problem of like none of them interact in any meaningful way which is you know that's um, also
1: true yeah
0: yeah maybe octopath yeah. shouldn't have been that inspired by live alive in that case <laughs> you know um so yeah it's it's neat uh and i also think that i don't know maybe because you've already explored the medieval era relatively thoroughly w- within chapter 8 i was a little disappointed personally that there wasn't a new area that you went to because my expectation was okay we do this chapter and then we're going to have like a whole new area that's like a bit more open big space that we all explore together but it ends up everyone just goes back to that chapter 8 location which is the biggest one in the game but also like i would already explored it so it felt like i mean there's okay, I'm certainly kind
1: of... new dungeons and loads of new yeah dungeons the dungeons are, are new but, right um... but
0: like the outside explorable space is all yes. the same so it just yeah. feels like you're kind of retreading it a bit too much which um, sure you know and also i will say that like i was a little worried because some of the battles you get into are just like annoying in terms of taking out all the enemies it could take a bit of time Mm -hmm. but there are certain moves that you get near the end especially if you have certain characters like the shifu who has a move that basically is just like hey here's just fucking bunch of dragons uh turn one i can just do it every turn one and it basically clears the entire screen i was like well great that's that's
1: good where i think the final boss is a little bit clever in that you can't use those moves without the final boss retaliating yes. brutally where they exactly. force you to focus on aspects of the boss right which totally is nice and yeah and that boss is cool i think it's very it's very 90s jrpg that final boss it it really so undertale me. you know like yeah. you
0: can see the toby fox's influence for the last boss of undertale because like the eyes and the mouth and stuff it just reminds me of the monstrosity that you see uh you know the final final kind of flowy encounter of undertale uh, right on regular path and um yeah and obviously clear inspiration for the music with like megalomania megalovania but um mm. yeah it's it's very cool to kind of see that that thread uh going through it um it's it's and, really very good
1: yeah do you think the final chapter does make you think a hell of a lot more about the mechanics of the game where you've not had to think about it a ton up until that point and yeah um i do think yeah if you're level 18 to 21 i was 18 you were 21 i do think that final boss is very doable and not too bad but i bet people will get to that final boss a lot earlier and find it pretty damn tough
0: i, I mean that's what i originally did was i i didn't know how to get anybody so i just followed the marker of the story <laughs> and i was like well this will surely take me to where i'm supposed to meet up with the other characters and i ended up just going back through that final dungeon i was like oh i I guess I'm just going to be me fighting the final boss on my own. I was like, well, this clearly is wrong. Had to go online and look up how to go yeah, and find everybody. Yeah, that's another so.
1: downside. And it's the same with Final Fantasy VI. Like, I, you really yeah. need a guide to work out where you get all the characters, how do you level yeah. them up, and then at what point you go and engage with the final boss. But um, that's okay. I mean... the for like eighty percent of this game, you really don't need a guide. So I no. think for a nineties JRPG, that's that's doing okay to be honest.
0: But- yeah, totally. I don't know. It is. It is one of those things where it could have been smoothed out even more. So you know, I talked last time on the show about how parts of Akira's section and parts of like um, the other uh, chapters have moments where they're like oh we're gonna not put a marker here you have to sit on the toilet three times for some reason you know it's just like it's a little bit awkward um but for the most part it it is a bit more seamless and and you know makes sense uh so i think it's i think it's pretty good um so yeah i enjoyed this game a lot i think it's, it's really cool um and has has a cool kind of like it it stands out among the crowd i think from these other games of the era because it is just trying to do something a bit different the anthology style of storytelling and like the whole idea and concept behind it is just so unique and different that it doesn't end up as like oh it's just another jrpg from the 90s it's really cool
1: as as much as i like octopath like they are all all those characters are still from like a traditional fantasy setting you know like live alive is just from eight very different settings and Mm -hmm. that's what is so unique and very cool about this game and as as frustrating as aspects of that final chapter are, like we've said, chapter eight is f- fantastic story-wise. And I do think the other seven chapters are just really interesting and for the most part, very fresh and just fun mm-hmm. to play through. So yeah, I I had a real blast with this game and having known nothing about Live Alive before it got announced in that direct. Um, yeah, keep the HD2D train coming as much as that name is awful.
0: I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was... I was just a bit hesitant at the end i was like oh i want to do this and grind so at least i had a four-hour train journey where i couldn't do anything else so i was kind of like forced to just play live alive and yeah um, i
1: definitely put in the podcast and just knuckled down in a couple yeah. of those dungeons that are quite long and just level up and then yeah it's not it's not amazing but no. it, I, equally i'm not sure how else they could have wrapped it up suitably but
0: i don't know i don't know i think maybe just like the level balancing before you get to that final chapter would have been nice because like um i used Takaru, uh the street fighter dude and he came into my final chapter at level three where everyone else was level 10 so i was like all right well i guess you know if i want to use him i'm gonna have to level yeah. him up and then i got to cube and i was like well he's the lower level now as well i don't want to switch him out but then you told me afterwards that cube doesn't actually level up which is weird and he has this other robot part thing that you do with him yeah. so i don't know um i think you know it has the octopath problem of if they're not in your party they're not going to gain experience and so like you you kind of have to commit to four characters which is why i was like oh all right i'll just i'll commit to the street fire dude and you know it worked out in the end you know i was able to beat the boss with no problem so it was it was fine Um,
1: um I think the the maybe the grander problem is that Square Enix are just so married to the idea of the final boss being the most challenging thing in the whole game no matter what. And, and that's RPGs, man. It's RPGs, yeah, but like say that boss was really easy, you could just breeze through through it at the end or even have the option to do that. Um might be welcome
0: yeah but. having an easy mode or something would have been nice as an yeah. addition you know that you could have just yeah. flipped a switch and not had to do all the grinding and stuff but um yeah i think it's a solid i think it's a solid rpg and and i'm glad to have played it because it is like one of those lost classics that people always talk about um and yeah i, I like it quite a bit um it's just too. it's unfortunate that it came out alongside xenoblade 3 because i don't think many people played uh live alive no, xenoblade no. took up all the auction and you know fairly so because i think xenoblade is like head and shoulders above live alive personally like i absolutely like adored xenoblade so um you know it, i think a lot of people will eventually circle back around uh to this game and i hope it does gets a good amount of success because i would like to see Square Enix go back and do stuff like bahamut lagoon or like um you know the, these other rpgs that never got localized or translated you know um because there are there are actually quite a few of them and um a few of them i actually have on my Amiga. i've downloaded like fan translation patches um to try and play through them myself what was so the
1: I, um, one where we were going to play secret of
0: mana secret of mana Cause... i mean secret of mana came out uh in the west at least but right. um they that is, have that's done not a, square is it it is it, it is, is yeah is it is um they did a collection for secret of mana where they put out uh the all all three secret of mana games or yeah mana games i guess because um, they put out the previously untranslated third mana game in that collection but then they also did a full-blown remake for that third mana game as well so you know there's multiple ways to play that now so i think square definitely are you know very interested in mining their back catalog now that they have seen that 2 hd is an easy applicable way of approaching uh these remakes so yeah i hope we see more so there you go uh all right i think that's it bali any any other closing thoughts on live or live before we leave uh i just really
1: enjoyed it and i look forward to Dragon Quest 3
0: yeah. yeah 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 i'm really curious to see how you get on with the Dragon Quest game cuz uh you've not played one yet and mm-hmm. uh i think that might be a, a cool one to jump into so see how that goes and uh until then we'll uh, look forward to to more jrpgs uh, in this classic style so um see you later everybody